0: All right, so praise the lord and let's let's start off by going to him and uh, asking him to bless this time father we we seek your blessing, we seek your presence, we seek your anointing <clears throat> lord you've you're inside of each of us, God, and only the Holy Spirit can interpret the words that you've put in this book, so please lord if uh Right now, we just cleanse ourselves or we come to you with any, anything on our conscience, Lord. And we just lay it out to you and, and we give it to the blood of Christ. And thank you for covering us. And I also pray, Lord, for understanding and, Lord, for application that you would give us um, uh, a way to take what we read today and apply it to our lives today and uh, that you would give us that spirit as well. And so just please go before us. We pray in the name of your son. Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so we're all starting um, chapter 21. So the last, last week, you know, Paul, <clears throat> we ended with Paul being in Ephesus, which is, well, I'm sorry, Miletus, which is right here. And when he, he skipped, see how this, this is his third missionary journey. This line here, well, all these lines are his journeys, but this, this arrow is him now returning. His goal is to get back where? Jerusalem. His goal is to get back to Jerusalem for the feast of either Passover or Pentecost, which are uh, within each, about 50 days of each other. He's taken a vow, but he knows that this is the last time that he's ever going to see these people again. And so, instead of going to Ephesus, he passes by Ephesus and goes to Miletus. And he then calls for the elders from Ephesus to meet him there. And so, last week, we saw this really emotional, tearfelt, heartfelt uh, goodbye. Um, and Paul uh, basically let them know. And he, Paul's one of those people <clears throat> that, <clears throat> when you tell him, excuse me guys by the way I'm really trying to work on that I know it's probably annoying don't fire me yet give me a couple more so weeks nope I don't think so I do it every week So, <laughs> no I, flowers to me you guys have been like really <laughs> traumatized by flowers in this church like everybody wonders no it's funny because everyone always asks me like no matter what so oh it's a cough drop thank That's you <clears throat> <laughs> At least somebody cares. <laughs> Thank you. But the one thing about Paul is that when you go to Paul and you tell him, Look, Paul, I don't have a good feeling about this trip. Paul doesn't care. If you go to Paul and say, Hey Paul, look, um, you know, you you're gonna be going to Jerusalem and Trials and tribulations are, are awaiting you there. Paul doesn't care. Paul, <clears throat> the, 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 the basic anchor text that we used in chapter 20, is how does he answer these things? He says, none of these things move me because I don't consider my life dear to myself. <clears throat> I consider my life dear. My life is very, very important, but I don't consider it dear to myself. See, that's the big, that's, that's the thing. <clears throat> and Ms. Elvira mentioned something really funny to me that it really never occurred to me until last night as I was preparing for my sermon today, watching a few highlights of Seinfeld. <laughs> that Seinfeld is funny, okay, for the most part, but it's, <clears throat> Ms. Elvira said every single, almost every single line, and since you told me that, is about them, it's all inward. Everybody in that, in that whole entire cast, and that's part of the comedy of it too, is because they're just so blinded by everything else. In real life, if you had that many self-consumed people, they probably wouldn't get along or even be want to be together. And so our life shouldn't be dear to ourself that way. Our life should be dear to ourself in Christ, okay? Our life should be dear as, as his life is inside of us. And so what does that really, how does that play out? It plays out by saying, yes, God has put me on this earth for a very important reason. And it's not for myself. It's so that I could finish the course that Jesus has already laid out for me, which is what's going on in your life right now. Okay, there's nothing in your life that happens without God proving it. I don't, you know, we get philosophical Causing it, proving it, allowing it, whatever—he's in control. There's no other person in control of it. So, however you want to think about it, we could have that talk the other day. When I when I first struggled in uh, coming back, from, and I always talk about coming back from U-turn it was such a bad, difficult time for me, because when I came back. I forgot about all the havoc that I had wreaked on my life and all the lives of everybody, you know, around me. So when I came back from U-Turn, I said, oh, I'm good now. I'm converted. Everybody should just, you know, trust me and welcome me and, and, uh, you know, just I'm all good. Right. And it didn't happen that way. Um, And so I was discipled by... uh, a man named Jeff at Calvary Old Bridge. You remember you know Big Jeff? He, he runs the whole facilities over there. He's still there now. Um, great guy, and he is the maintenance guy and runs this gigantic megachurch. He took me under his wing and ministered to me. Church wasn't that big, as big as it is now. But I had a really bad day, and I remember he told me, he gave me this illustration like a mature Christian would give a new Christian. He said, every single thing, imagine God, on his throne and imagine he's got some sort of desk and everything in your life that happens is in front of him and he puts approved, he puts validated, he puts that stamp on whatever's going on in your life at that very minute. And that's very difficult for us to to try to comprehend. But when we don't count our life dear unto ourselves, we can do that. And then Paul finishes that verse with, <clears throat> he wants to finish his course and the ministry which he received from the Lord Jesus. And that was specifically all of our ministries, but in Paul's sense, very specifically, to testify solemnly to the grace of God. And he's obviously talking to the Jews. But really, when you, when you read about the grace in the New Testament, specifically with Paul, You're you're seeing a um, because he even says the mystery of the gospel that's been hidden throughout all the ages is that the Gentiles get to come in to the fold. So that's a, a mind blowing thing for a Jewish person to believe. So when they say grace of God, we think grace of God like, oh, we don't have to work our way to salvation. He's thinking grace of God. Yes, that. But that's here he can't believe that god is now going out to the whole world and offering this so this grace of god to go out and to testify to it is his mission if we kept, if we keep our life dear unto ourselves that'll be a spotty thing for us we'll be on we'll be we'll be off we'll be on we'll be off we'll be on but if we just resolve <clears throat> once and for all to just not count our life dear unto ourselves and go to the lord and give him what is rightly his <laughs> Our life, the breath, in our lungs, he does not owe us one more minute. So we ought to give our life fully over to him and follow Paul's example. So Paul, yeah, he doesn't shrink back. <clears throat> you know, he's, he said he may not see them again. He knelt down and prayed, and uh, he went over to the ship. So he let's look at where he goes from here. See, see, Right here, Paul exhorts the elders at Miletus. And so when he had parted from them and had set sail, first first one, he ran a straight course to Kaz, if you want to look up at the map, and then the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, right here in Lycia, And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, okay, which is right off of the coast here of Syria, they went aboard and set sail. So when he says he went to Phoenicia, now he's setting sail down along the coast. When we came in sight of Cyprus, oh man, I'm way off. Hold on. Did I read that right? Having found a ship, crossing over to Phoenicia. This happened when I was, when I was looking at this too. So he, he didn't land at Phoenicia yet. It was crossing over to Phoenicia and then they stopped here. They came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, so they passed by Cyprus, <clears throat> and then they sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, right here, or Tyre. For there, the ship uh, was to unload its cargo. So he was on a cargo ship to give you the the picture of what that trip must have looked like. And so he's he's here now, and now he looks up the disciples, verse four, and he stays there seven days. And again, they kept telling Paul through the spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And again, Paul says, big deal, big deal so that was just informing what's that he's compelled to go there presumably by the Holy Spirit his friends by the Spirit are telling him that there's you know this is going to happen there Yeah. so it was just for information I think it was for encouragement yeah for Paul I think God used it because the Spirit has been telling him these things as well. But I think it was for encouragement. Because again, it's not for God. This isn't like, well, I'm sending Paul into this like really, really, really bad situation. For God, it's like I'm sending Paul, my Christian servant, who knows he has to give me his life, who knows that Christianity is about dying to self, who knows that there's going to be trials and tribulations, and he knows his humanity is probably you know, saying, I don't really want to do this. My flesh, you know, is probably pulling him. So I would say that it's the Spirit either encouraging him or testing him. Mm -hmm. Is he going to say, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, two people told me the Spirit said this.
1: Maybe think of uh, what the Lord told the disciples. I'm telling you this in advance. Yeah. So you're not discouraged. That's a good point. I didn't. Yeah. If you were saying it's for encouragement, I would take it more as a warning, okay? But yeah. I think that's what they were, they took it as a warning because yeah. they're approaching him like, this is going to happen, don't go. Yeah. I think that, right? But the Bible said in the spirit, they're telling him that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was more just like prophecy, this is going to happen, and he was like, I
0: got it. I am that's right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's a good discussion. You know, we have to, this is where we really have to make sure that our speculation is rooted in the context of Scripture, which it is, and in the, in the context of the Christian life.
1: Well, maybe like they, like they were interpreting, we got to warn
0: him. Yeah. God's a God of the present reality. Yeah. yeah he was They're in the spirit. They're probably praying for Paul. Lord, bless his journey. Lord, be with him. Lord, protect him. Well, you better tell him if he wants all that not to set foot in Jerusalem <laughs> because that's not going to happen. But Paul knew his calling. Paul didn't see this as a, as a battle between two spirits. How could you tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem, right? How could you tell him who's in the back of his mind? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, all the prophets—they were all killed, you know. And so, I don't think he—I don't think he was uh, going to be moved, uh, as we know. And we are, and we know the end story too. It was an amazing blessing. You see, the book of Acts is a is a is a microcosm of what's happening in the world, in the kingdom of God. And so you see the you see the. It's not just coincidental that Paul or that Jesus in the very beginning said you were going to take the gospel out to the whole world but you have to start in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and then the world so it's a microcosm of what we're what, what's playing out right now of the gospel going through the world cuz where does Paul end up at the end of the book of acts he ends up in Rome which is the the absolute capital of the world at the time. But he doesn't just end up in Rome, does he? He ends up in Caesar's household. Not him, but the word of God that people were getting preached to within Caesar's household. And Paul doesn't just say preaching that Jesus is the Christ. If, if we go to Acts 28, he says what? Preaching what? One of our favorite terms in the book of Acts. The kingdom of God. So here we have the kingdom of God coming up against the kingdom of the world. And who is winning? Kingdom of God, it's always gonna win. So the book of Acts is like this microcosm of what's going on here. We go out and ultimately we are going, God is going to overcome all, all we see it in Psalm two, you know, kiss the sun lest he be angry. Every single king, every leader is under the sun if you read, under Jesus, under the Messiah. And so ultimately, every single knee is going to bow before Jesus. And so that's, that's when, the, when, the, when the kingdom is going to come into its fullness. So it doesn't come into its fullness in Acts, but it does reach the, the fullness at that time in context, Caesar's own household. And as we know, Caesar ends up getting converted soon after. But my question to you is, can somebody talk you out of your calling? And how do we know what to do and what to say when somebody says, listen, I've been praying for you and I really don't feel like, I just feel like the Lord telling me that you shouldn't do this. When somebody says that to you, has anybody ever had that? I have to tell you that every single thing that I've ever felt called to do for the Lord, people have tried to talk me out of it. Good, loving, caring Christian people. Mm -hmm. Almost everything. Now, there was a lot too that were supportive. I had people supportive. But what do we do in that situation? When when we know, when we feel we have a calling, and that calling... May not be the safest calling. That calling may not make the most sense. You know, like maybe you're called to go to another country, like Kevin was called to go to Mexico and didn't even know how to speak Spanish. That didn't make much sense.
1: I, I think of missionaries now, like Mohan, who's been preaching in a month's unreached. Yeah. You know, and so when you you move in in those circles, there's clear danger there. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people within there um,
0: that love them, that don't want to um, know the danger, but therefore don't want them to be in the midst of that danger. Probably tell them to think
1: twice or whatever. I've also read about parents whose child wants to go to mission. And the parents don't want them to go into missions, since they know that. Yeah. You know, and so um, I think that you know, like I think, like right when you said that, I thought of Izzy. When as a child, she would say that, and, and I and she now says how many times. Some people were very much like would be very happy for her, encouraging, and then and then she'd also get that like. Why? why in fact she would get more why's amongst christians than than secular people yeah secular people really like oh that's nice that's really cool you know whatever the case might be like in school teachers things like that but in the sometimes amongst christians she the question would be like well why would you you know well that's hard like <laughs> yeah and so i think that i think in those cases well i know for her i kept telling her you have to just um, keep going to the Lord with any of your doubts and any of your concerns. He'll continue to confirm it. It won't be easy, though. Yeah. Like, he won't confirm it by making this really smooth, easy, even path. Right. (laughs)
0: That that won't be the case. Right. There's periods, I, I have to say, though, there are periods in your calling that are calmer than other periods. So you may get that, you know, you get that. But in terms of getting sent out and going and moving forward, How do we make sure, you know, that we're calling good? One of the rules for me is I try never to be like have knee jerk reactions or be impulsive. And, you know, you know, uh, Patrick Morley says every single decision that you ever make can wait two weeks. You know, he says in his book, Man Man in the Mirror. And I love that because that's a good buffer. And that's, you know, if you want it. Oh, wow. I want to go out and. You know, buy this new car, whatever, you know, and I feel like it's the Lord is OK with it, <laughs> you know, or changing careers or whatever the case may be. Give it time. Also, go to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You, you'll get confirmation uh, from there. If every one of them says, no, you shouldn't do that. You know, that's confirmation. You should go. I'm just kidding. but you go to the early, you go like, you know, in the early church, they went to the elders of the church. And that's what I would encourage you to do. If you feel like you're called to do something, not even in the ministry world, formal ministry, but anything, you know, come to the elders of the church and let's pray and let's lay hands and let's wait and let's fast and let's see what the Lord will do. And then God starts to confirm. He starts to move. Things start to happen. And then the calling becomes sure And that's what happened with Paul. 14 years, he was waiting on the Lord. He was ministered to by the Lord. So when he gets told that his bonds and chains are awaiting him, I've been there, done that. I already have prepared my heart. God's already dealt with me. He's already called me. This is part of the Christian life. When you read the Bible, we know that this is part of the Christian life, that our calling, as soon as we go out into our calling, you're going to have opposition from the enemy. He may get behind you first and push, and you may say, oh, wow, this is going great. But if that doesn't work, he'll, he'll get in front of you as well.
1: From, from what you're saying, I really, I really like what you said before. God is not just like, I'm going to send you to suffer. I mean, he knows all things, but I think if we see it as God is not saying, I'm sending you to suffer, but I'm sending you to serve me. I'm sending you to glorify me. And it's different. Yeah. You're not just there for the suffering and the pain. You're there because, because you're making much of God's name. Yeah. And about making much of God's name in any setting cannot be just simple. Coming like Christ, I mean, like, why would we expect it to be easy? Mm-hmm. Right? But we do. I mean, we do expect it. We, we fear. I fear. I fear pain. I fear. But, but if you focus on how hard something is going to be or how difficult it is, you would, you would not be glorifying the Lord yeah. and serving Him through it, through it. So, yeah.
0: So it's fun. not going to be. That's great. Because the thing is, is this. If you want to just be left alone. We talked about this. And don't do nothing for the Lord. Because really, the enemy doesn't care about you uh, at all. He hates you. Um, But he doesn't care about the fact that you're even just sitting home reading the Bible if you're not doing anything. If you don't have that heart for God, that that the heart Alvira is talking about is a heart of faithfulness to God. See, that's what God God cares about the inside of our heart. He cares about the man, the woman. And he wants to do something like we were saying in Nehemiah last week. He wants to do something in us first before he does something with us. And so if you just, yeah, you may have a time of just dryness and a time of just, hey, I'm just going to be just ministered to by the Lord for this time. I'm going to seek the Lord, all that. But we should always be looking for opportunities. Always have our ears open. What does God... Calling me to do. He puts a burden on your heart for something. Then take a step towards that. Take a step of faith and go after it. And, and, and take that vision and, and and start to play it out. Kev. Yeah, I'm sorry.
2: But I, you know, the, the, the thought about fear and all those things. that I mentioned in the men's group. You know, that i am been praying about fear of man and all that. I, I was reading somewhere where they're talking about. Even in the garden, it wasn't a risk fear place. Before sin, mm. the serpent was there. Mm. And, and and so God, God didn't create the world to be free of risk. It's 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 about being about his work. Mm. And and if we're doing that and wherever we are, then there's no safer place to be. That's right. Um I have this many of you may know this story, this silly story when I was in Mexico and I lived outside of Mexico City and I had to go renew my visa in Mexico City and, and everyone's like, no, it's dangerous. They're gonna they're gonna rob you do all this stuff. They, they, they're gonna take advantage of you, so put your money in your shoe. I'm like that's kind of gross, but okay. <laughs> so I put so I put money in my shoe. And I go to this place, and it's not a nice neighborhood, right? And I'm and I'm walking, and I'm very paranoid of anybody coming, and I hear somebody coming behind me and they start to chase me. I think and I like, go, hey, and I go, and I'm paranoid hey, this fell out of your shoe. A bill has fallen out of my shoe. And, and for me, that was like the greatest lesson, because wherever you are, there are going to be people that, that God is going to use in a, in a positive way. In some of the darkest places are the best people. And, and in some of the places where you think you're safe, <clears throat> it's not safe at all. And and it, it, it's it's about knowing where God is, right? And yeah. if we're and then the other thing that
0: just And that's how you, you met Elvira? She was the one? She was the one. Is
1: that
0: all you, go yeah. Yeah. you got? Yeah. yeah. I said, yeah. yeah. Hold on, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but, but the other thing that,
2: that I think the texts in the Bible teach us too that, you know, is is that for these believers, the greatest experience they ever had was suffering for the sake of Christ and being able to recognize that and it's their, their encouragement. And I don't think the Bible ever says seek out the suffering. Mm. But but in the midst of that, he's there and we're identifying with Christ in a different way. And, and that's a grace he gives us that that I think we should remember will be there. Not that we seek it, but, but that that, that yeah. shouldn't imprison us.
0: That's right. That's very well put. Calling is something we talk, we've been talking a lot about
1: at Solutions right now. And, and it's in particular to when we have people that desire to volunteer specifically with serving clients directly. And we have uh, an application process, uh, which is a fairly long application for a volunteer position, and then an interview, and then it's eight weeks of training, and then it's shadowing, mm. and then you get to the client. <coughs> and, you know, one of the things, I, I took a little, like, webinar training type thing about how to to speak to people who are interested in volunteering in that. And one of the things is to ask them about uh, why they want to volunteer. And the key thing to listen for is that they feel a calling from the Lord. Mm. Um, but I found recently, because of all of these changes in our, um, in this, the policies that we as a, cert, as a licensed uh, medical center, we have to follow in relation to pandemic policies, yeah, right? And so our position is anything that we have to follow in terms of policy like that um, we're going to follow because we are already in direct <coughs> opposition to the state's stance well, on abortion, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So absolute direct opposition to it. So we're not going to compromise on biblical values or pro-life or the gospel. We're never going to do that. But if they want us to test what well, we're going to test. Because to us, that has nothing to do with this. Right. And then we're not going to come under their... You know, we're not going to give them reason. Mm-hmm. We already have reason enough to come after us, right? Yeah. So now that's an issue coming as I'm speaking to potential volunteers. They want to, oh, the Lord is calling me. I feel a burden. I, I oh, you know, and then as we discussed... When it becomes like, oh, wait, you require this. Oh, no, no, I, no. Then I'm like, Andrea and I are like, listen, you're either called or you're not. Mm. Okay? <laughs> you're not called, and then you tell the Lord, like, within these parameters, of, I will serve you. <coughs> but right. once my preferences are like, you know, I don't know that I can do that. And uh, we're, we're facing that, and I, I, I've been, because I'm, uh, I'm the one that, the interviews, and then I'm the one that does the training. If so I'm gonna spend twenty, what well, amounts to almost thirty hours of training with you. Yeah. Please finish. <laughs> I mean, I get at the end of it being like, oh, I don't know that I can do this, or I don't know that I can talk about actual step by step the abortion pro-, like the abortion procedure. We've had clients that uh, potential volunteers that just like I can't speak about what happened mm. because you were that's part of the yeah abortion it's yeah really hard to talk about second, especially second and third time after mm-hmm. so I get that, not being able to say that calmly without like, yeah. you know, but but when there's like, oh, I can, I can, you know, I'm called, I'm called, but then it's like, I within these like, you know, these parameters, and I, I can't serve outside of that, then it's like, okay, then you need to check your calling, mm-hmm. or you need to go before the Lord and be like, Lord, what do I do now? I feel called, but I'm here. Like, like I get that, you might have to work it out. But if you're called, then you obey that call. You don't get to choose, I want to serve you, Lord, within this. Hmm. And I felt like that, like I, I could speak into that. It wasn't a pandemic when I was called, but I was asked, can I serve a second time? And I remember thinking like, no, I can't possibly. Like, we're in a single salary, We <coughs> can't be serving twice. Commuting and Mm. spending this money on tolls and gas, and I'm like, I can't. And ask Chris, and he's like, If you want to, if the Lord is calling you, you should do it. I'm like, I can't possibly. That's expensive. He's like, Pray about it. So I prayed about it, and I felt the Lord say to me, Are you pinching pennies with me? (laughs) I own the world. (laughs) Why are you doing that? You know. And so I, I, I just recently shared that with a potential client uh, of an applicant. Again, much calmer. Because I get so fired up. Look, please stop telling me you're called. And then the moment you hear, I don't, you know, there's this. this. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like the calling is this pull and you can't possibly do anything but obey. Mm-hmm. Even when you're faced with possible, like, ooh, I don't know about that. Or the dangers, like Paul was facing. You know, the, the discomfort of something. The the expense of travel, all of that. Yeah. So I, I just think there's something to that. And I think Paul was the key is Paul's sentence before that verse is that or in the other chapter I don't count my life yeah. worthy to myself. Mm-hmm. So that's why he kept going. Because it was all about the Lord and what yeah. it wasn't about him. I and
0: think to so. think what Paul gave up. <clears throat> he was <clears throat> he was a Roman citizen so he was going to potentially lose that citizenship or lose his life because of what he was at, how he was behaving as a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee, very well educated. He had, probably was very wealthy at the time as a Pharisee compared to people that were around them. Um, probably as we as we get from the scripture, he was married or maybe he was a widow. Not sure about that, but... He gave all that up. He says, I count my life not as like past or as not important, but as what? Dung. Poo poo. Yeah. Poo poo. I think you got some of the people came down there, Kev. Maybe Sylvia's son. Um, so, yeah, he gave up a lot. Um, but that, was really, that's, that really brings it home. Like, we have to know, yeah, God may use certain things to turn you away. Um, but if you're called, he will, my favorite saying is, is where God guides, guide, God guides, God provides. And he does, if he's guiding you and calling you, he's going to provide it for you. But we got to do stuff. We got to like be in motion, you know, and, uh, and that's beautiful with Paul. He didn't care. He just kept going, going back, going and going back, writing leather everywhere. He was, he was, he was moving It's a really, really good example. And so uh, we've got a few more minutes. So when, verse five, when our, when our days ended there, we left and started on our journey while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. <clears throat> when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Patol. Lamech, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. We stayed with him. And so, let me just so basically, if you look up at the at the chart, this is the the trip down here, and this is Caesarea. Remember when we were, um, I believe, back in Acts. 8 or 9, when when um, our last time we saw Philip, he was swept up by the Spirit, and he ended up uh, going into uh, Azotus, and then I think he went and settled in Caesarea, and that seems to be, you know, this is sometime after that. Is this Saint Philip? Uh, yeah, this is Philip the Evangelist, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, and he, he uh, was swept up and brought there, and has now four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and he tells Paul the same thing. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. David is against, somebody. Else. Yeah. So... Yeah, so do you feel this is something someone different than Philip the Apostle? <clears throat> no, no, I was just... Um, oh, I, mean, I didn't know when you as you said that, so... Because they call him the evangelist. Yes, they Yeah. Um, I believe this is the same Philip that was taken to Caesarea Philippi. And so... The one who was speaking to the unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yes, so we have a couple things here that I'd like to cover. First of all, um, let's go to Ephesians 4, 9. Just jump over there. (coughs) We talked about this uh, in our men's group a little bit yesterday, but in a different context. It says Ephesians 4, 9. Um, Do you want to, anybody want to read if you have it? In saying he ascended, ascended. What does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. Keep going down to uh, verse uh, 12.
2: <clears throat> he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the
0: apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints
2: for the work of ministry, for
0: building up of the body of Christ. Great. So the, the gifts, or the, or I shouldn't say the gifts, <clears throat> although these are gifts because it says it right uh, in verse 8, when he led captive a host of captives, he gave gifts to men. So these are giftings. You have to have a gifting to teach and to, to preach and to do all these things. But they are also gifts to the church. As offices in the church now the office i don't believe the office of apostle is still uh, um, uh, applicable to today. I think the apostles were the unique that's the unique office that, that the apostles uh, held and they were able to write scripture and they were moved by the spirit in that way and then there's some other you know debate on this there's some prophets and some evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So, Philip, we see two of these gifts mentioned here. Which two do we see? Evangelist, and we see prophet or prophetess, however you want to say it. And so the evangelist is, we always think of evangelist as evangelism, okay? And I think that the reason why Philip probably stayed in Caesarea as an evangelist, because the it's sort of like, well, he, if he's an evangelist, shouldn't he be going all around and preaching the gospel? Is he more of like a missionary? He should be like a Paul, Okay who's also can be considered an evangelist. <clears throat> was Timothy an evangelist? Anyone? Anyone? I Anyone? Think so? No. He was a pastor. I think so. so yeah, you think so, okay. And you say he's a pastor. <coughs> he's a pastor. The word of an evangelist. Yes, say that again. Listen to what Robin said. He wasn't a- Right, so Paul said, do the work of an evangelist, right? So we have prophets, we have teachers, we have pastors, we have apostles, and we have evangelists in the church. These are gifts that God gave to the church to do what, according to Ephesians 4, 9 through 10 that Robin just read. Yeah, to build up the church, depending on your, on your interpretation or your, your version. <clears throat> Equip the saints. So I believe Philip, the evangelist, who was obviously a preacher of the gospel, because right after the killing of Stephen, we see that church was scattered everywhere, preaching everywhere, and Philip was one of those people. But maybe Philip stayed in Caesarea Philippi, And obviously has four daughters that have become converted and that also have a gift of prophecy. So Philip was doing the work of an evangelist at this point. And the work of an evangelist isn't just going out to preach the gospel. It's also to train the saints to go out and equip the saints to go out and preach the gospel. The pastor, his job is to equip you to go out to do what the work of the ministry. The teacher is to equip you in the church to go out and do the work of the ministry. The prophet is to do the work of the to, to equip to do the work of the ministry. So this is a really convicting thing because as Christians we're all caught, we have all these individual callings. But as the church in the body of Christ, you should be doing ministry. You should be serving God the, in, uh, as through his local church in one way, shape, or form. And that's one thing that we have to uh, learn to, I believe, here, is to learn to not only serve, because there's a handful of people that serve here, um, but we also have to see how do we look for opportunities to serve and do the work of the ministry, right? Because it's like this, it's like every week, imagine every week you know, <clears throat> you go out and you train to be a boxer. Every week you're doing jabs, you're doing right hooks, you're doing uppercuts, you're working on your footwork, you're doing all your boxing stuff. <clears throat> And you've trained that way for years, but you've never gotten punched. You've never went against anyone. You've never gotten the ring. Are you a boxer? Well, what if you only had a couple, couple times training and you went in the ring against somebody? Are you a boxer? I would say he's the boxer. He's the one that's getting out, doing the ring. He may not do great because he doesn't have the training. But I think that, you know, a lot of times what we do is we get fed and we're like, just stuffed with the word of God. And then we just sort of go home and we, we, we pray and we read and, and we come back next week and we, we eat it up and we do all that stuff. And I'm not trying to come down on on, on anybody, because I know everybody, especially in this room, you minister in so many different ways, you minister to your families and all the stuff that I have no idea no one even knows about you're doing. But still we have to make sure that we don't get fat on the equipping, that we go out and burn off those calories by doing the work of the ministry. Okay, And there's so many things to do, so many things to do in our church, but that doesn't bother me as much. What would bother me is that there's not any new things coming through the minds of the people in the church. See, because the pastor, the elders, the teachers, and all that, we're to equip and then come alongside your vision, to come alongside your ideas, to come alongside ways that you want to serve, doesn't have to be big doesn't have to be so I don't know what it is but we got to come alongside and equip and encourage to do that and so look for those opportunities yes we have plenty of opportunities but also be sensitive to the spirit's leading maybe he wants to do a new work in you like I said last week from the pulpit you know is God putting it on your heart to start a small group at your house you don't even have to teach Robin will come and teach. Just tell him when. Just feed him and, you know, he'll be fine. Give him a little snack. No, seriously. You don't even have to teach. You can say, Pat, hey, I would open up my house on, on, a, on a Thursday night. I would open up my house for a home group. All right, great. And then, hey, Chris. Hey, Kev, what do you think? Who could, who could we send out there to do this? Exciting. And so, maybe, maybe that's it. Or maybe it's something else, you know. So just be sensitive to that. Uh, to that calling. So Philip wasn't an evangelist and he, and he was somebody that was probably had part of the church plant there. He was building up the, the, he was equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. He wasn't being swept up and taken around to do it anymore, apparently. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I think what we could take out of today was let's be resolute like Paul. When God has given us a calling we, we, we need to be sensitive. We, it has to be rooted in the word of God, how we go about that calling. Come to the church if you feel it's necessary. You know, If God's calling you to pray for you know, a different country every single day, I'd love to hear about it, but that's something you could do. I don't have to meet with the elders to, uh, to approve that ministry, okay? Go and do it, okay? But you're gonna get opposition, and you're going, to stay, you're going to stay faithful to the Lord. And then secondly, uh, the other thing that we could talk about that sort of gels in with that is what is God calling me to do? What is God want from my life? Where do I want to be five years from now from a ministry perspective? Where would I like to see this church? Where would you guys like in five years, what would you like to see this church be doing other than what we're doing right now? And don't say we want it filled to the max because yes, great, people will hear the gospel, but I don't want a bunch, you know, we don't want to fill the restaurant with just to feed everybody. Yes, that's good, but we want, I would much rather see just people just being on fire for the Lord. What can I, what am I, being sensitive to what God is calling you to do? So ask yourself, how do you see that? Where do you, what do you see this church doing? What do you see it visually OK, let's we should all start to think and pray about this. Let's get super serious. And Lord, what do you want us to do? Mm-hmm. So amen to that. So we'll stop there. And next week we will continue and we'll talk about the office of prophet or prophetess. And um, we'll, we'll that's when we'll go to First Timothy and talk about uh, the mandate of uh, of elders and, and um, teachers and so forth. So with that said, any last minute questions, or applications, anything? Okay, so we'll ask uh, Elder Chris to lead us out in prayer.